We're going to turn to God's Word now. And uh, this is a Matthew uh, chapter 16, starting in verse 21. Hear God's Word to you because you are His children. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word and that as we come and we study this book, that we can be confident that this is your truth, that we are beholding your face and your character and that we can actually know you through these words. We pray that you would uh, send your Holy Spirit now among us that you would take these words of truth and that you would press them deep into our souls, into hidden corners of who we are that we may not even be aware of, that you would bring your renewal, your washing, your life, and your love, and that you would uh, guide us into repentance, you would guide us into faith, that we would receive the grace and the mercy that is in Jesus. And so we pray for you to be our teacher now, And we open our hearts to you in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, uh, we're going to be talking about kind of a heavy topic, abuse. And uh, and more specifically, we're actually, in part, going to talk a little bit about sexual abuse. And before we get started, I just want to say a few words about why it's important for us as a church to periodically um, tackle or address topics like this and talk about them as a congregation. And the first reason is this, is because, you know, one of the convictions of our church is that the gospel, which is Jesus' death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection where he was raised to give us eternal life, our conviction is that that little story of good news is actually the key to all of of human life. And that there's no part of human life that that doesn't kind of unlock and explain and, you know, open up and give us understanding of. And so what we're constantly doing every week is taking the gospel and applying it into different areas. And so if the gospel is true, if it is the key that unlocks everything, it should unlock the mystery of, of the harm that we experience in our lives. Okay? So that's the, well, that's the first reason. But second, I know that as, you know, as I'm going to talk about abuse, I'm going to try to apply the gospel to the question of abuse. I know that you know, I don't have all the answers 
to that question. I know that you know many of you, I've talked with many of you about things that you've experienced in your life. And um, I know that in a 30-minute sermon, there's no way that I could explain or, under, you know, or give answers to everything that you've experienced. And yet, it's still important that we try to talk about it. We try to address it. We try to bring God's truth to bear upon it. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, is we're going to try to apply the gospel. And the other thing, the other reason why it's important for us as a church to talk about this is because even for some of you who would say, you know, I've, I don't have a history of abuse in my life. I haven't experienced that. Um, how does this apply to me? Is that you're a part of a congregation where there are many people in this congregation who have experienced various levels of abuse in their life. And this needs to be a place where they know that I can talk about these things. I'll be supported as I talk about these things. I'll receive compassion and understanding. People won't run away from me talking about these things. And so as we create a culture as a congregation where we love and, and comfort each other and help heal one another's wounds, it's important that we attempt to just bring these things into light and try to apply the gospel into these areas. And so I want this sermon, now that we're going to talk about it, to be a conversation starter for us. And I want you to know as we talk about it that I, I care deeply about you as a congregation. I care deeply about each one of you. And that's why even though I'm not going to say this perfectly, I still want to talk about it because I love you. And I also know that the gospel has profound resources for us to bring renewal and healing into our lives. And I want you to just experience some of what those are this morning. Okay? So this morning, as we talk about this difficult topic, we're going to do it under three headings. Three things are very simple. Things about the gospel. That first, Jesus died for us. Second, Jesus calls us to die with him. And third, Jesus says that if we die with him, we will also live with him. Okay? So, simple things. Jesus died for us. Jesus calls us to die with him. And Jesus says, if we die with him, we will also live with him. So, the first is this. Jesus died for us. Now, I, most of you probably heard that before. Jesus died for us. I know that's a basic thing that Christians say. But who is the us that Jesus died for? And I want us to see in this passage that in particular, there's two kinds of people that Jesus died for. The first is this, is that Jesus died for the abused. This is the turning point of Jesus' ministry. In, in the, I've talked about that the last couple of weeks, where Jesus has, disciples have just said that he's the true king of the world. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus, immediately after that, says this, it says in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. What Jesus says is that his primary calling is to become an abused one. That when God became a man, the primary thing he was doing was identifying with the people who have experienced the violence of this world in their bodies. That he is going to share in it he himself is going to become one of the abused ones. God himself is going to become an abused one. And, you know, I'll tell you why this is, is so important. Um, 
you know, for many of us who've experienced various levels of pain of abuse in our lives, um, one of the effects of that is, is it creates an isolation in our life, right? Um, because there's a tremendous amount of pain um, and shame that we may have experienced from our abuse, and so we feel a sense of distance from community. You know, you see, feel like there's like people who know one another and have relationships, and I feel on the outside, I'm, I'm either protective to enter into the kind of intimacy of that community, and I'm kind of on the margins, right? And, and for many of us, we think of, you know, when we become a Christian, when we come into God's life, it's kind of like there's this party where everyone loves each other, everyone's getting along, and God's in the middle of the party, and he's like, come on in, you're welcome, there's a place for you. And of course, God does that. He does welcome us in. But actually, God does something far more profound first. Instead of calling us out of the margins to come into the center of the life, he himself goes out into the margins. He becomes an ashamed and isolated one who's felt pain and shame himself. And he sits with us, and he meets us there. He becomes one of us. He identifies with us. And I'll tell you why that's so important, because, you know, for many of you who've experienced abuse in your life, and it's something that's very sensitive to talk about, when you meet someone who has had a similar experience to you, who can say, I know what you feel like, I know what it's like, then you feel like you can open up. Then you can open, you can come into that relationship. You can talk about it. And it turns out what the gospel says, this amazing truth, that God himself is one of those people. And there is, I'll tell you, you go to every other religion in the world, there is not another religion where the God can say, I am one of the abused ones with you. And so um, there's this profound truth that God identifies. Who does Jesus die for? He, he dies for the... He dies for the abused. I'll tell you another reason why that's actually important. For those of us who've been experienced a lot of harm in our lives, one of the major questions that that brings up for us is, you know, if there's a loving God, how could a loving God ever let this happen in my life? How could he ever bring such pain into my life? And one of the things the gospel says to us is that one of the things that we can't say is that God is not loving. Because, you know, God may be very strange. We don't understand his purposes. Why, why he's structured my life the way it is, I don't know. But I can't say he's not loving because he himself has, become, has taken on the abuse with me. And anyone who will enter into the abuse and share in it with me, I know he must be good. And so we can trust him. It draws us to him. And so the first thing that we learn when we say Jesus died for us is that Jesus died for the abused, which is a tremendously tender word to those of us who have profound pain in our lives. But there's also a challenging word in it as well, because we find out in the gospel that it's not only that Jesus died for the abused, we also find out that Jesus died for the abuser. And when Jesus dies on the cross, he is paying the debt for all the violence that humans have done to one another in the world. He is paying the debt for them. And so Jesus, on the one hand, puts him in the, himself in the place of the abused one. He also puts himself in the place of the abuser and the punishment that the abuser deserves. He identifies with them. And you see this here, as, you know, as Jesus says, that he tells his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. And it says in verse 22, look at this. And Peter takes him aside... Peter's going to correct him, and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. 
Now, first of all, Peter, it's not even a category for him that the true king of the world would come and become abused. Like, that's, that's not going to happen. And part of the reason for that is because, you know, Peter's a Jew. And the Jews, up in, at this point in history, for 600 years, had been living under the oppression of uh, foreign nations, of, of the Babylonians, of, of the Persians, of the Greeks, of the Romans. And they had, been, they had suffered a tremendous amount of abuse for hundreds of years. And so when he says, you are the Christ, you're the true king of the world, he's saying, you are going to bring retaliation. Things are going to be set right now. And what does Jesus say to him? Verse 23. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. Now what Jesus is saying here is that when we've suffered abuse in our lives and that turns into a hardness, a bitterness, a desire to retaliate, a thick shield, that's what Peter is showing here. We're going to fight. Jesus is saying that hardening is actually worse than the abuse itself. That harms us more than the abuse itself is that hardening. And he, what does he say? It's, he says it's actually satanic if that hardening happens in us. And he says, if you want to set your mind on the things of God, we begin to understand that on the one hand, there's this profound identification where God identifies with the victim. But on a whole other level, he also identifies with the abuser because Jesus is dying for the violent of the world. And Jesus actually has sympathy for both. This is the starting point for us as we talk about abuse as Christians. This is kind of our paradigm. Now, many people, of course, are going to ask, you say, Jesus dies and just forgives the sins of people who've done just terrible abuses in this world? He just forgives them? Shouldn't he be angry? I mean, how is he going to, you know, he's just letting, letting them off the hook? Shouldn't Jesus be angry about that? And that's an important question. Is God angry about it? And the Bible gives actually a very complex answer to that. Because on the one hand, the Bible says that our world that we are living in is a whole world of violent people. We are all people who have been harmed and do harm to others. We are, all, we are all both in both categories. And actually, Jesus, some of you will know his famous teachings where he says that if you just hate someone in your heart, you actually have the seeds of murder inside your heart. The, the thing that, if it was full-grown, would turn into murder, lives inside of each one of us. And so all of us have the seeds of, of violence and abuse inside of us. And what the gospel says is that Jesus has come and he suffered for those who hurt one another he has paid for all of their sins. He has paid the penalty for them. The anger of God has fallen on him. And what's happening is God's kingdom is coming where God is going to wipe away every tear. He's going to heal every wound. And the king of that kingdom has himself paid the debt for every crime done by humanity. And right now there is an open offer to all people to come and have every crime and every harm you've ever done to everyone, anyone forgiven and to become a child of God and to be transformed by his radical love. 
But the Bible says that if you refuse God's goodness, if you refuse to be transformed by his goodness, refuse to, to accept the offer of forgiveness, then every act of abuse will be accounted for, will be paid for. And you look at this is exactly what Jesus says, verse 23, or I'm sorry, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Every harm will be paid for. Justice will be done. And what's happening right now is that God's, the justice will either be paid for on the cross by Jesus or it will be paid for in final judgment. But you can see, this is an incredibly complex view that the Bible gives of how do we understand the abuse and the violence that happens in our own lives and that happens in the world is we see God's love and God's justice being held together. And what we see is also, not only does the gospel have profound resources for us to understand, how do we understand people? Well, we understand that Jesus both dies for the abuse, God identifies with the victims, and, Jesus, and God also gives hope and an offer of transformation to abusers, but God is also just, and the things that have been done to, done to us will be held to account, they will be brought to light. I mean, there's a tre- tremendous resources here. What does the gospel have to say about abuse? A tremendous amount. It's amazing. But, so, this, this, these are kind of our categories that we think about it, about abuse. But how does the fact that Jesus die, died for us actually begin to transform our life? Because, you know, for most of us, if we've experienced abuse in our lives, we see that it's had a profound effect on us. You know, it's had an effect on our emotional life. It's had an effect on our thought patterns. It's had an effect on our behaviors. How does the fact that Jesus died begin to now change me. And this is the uh, second point we're going to talk about. is that not only that Jesus died for us, both for the abused and the abuser, but second, that Jesus calls us to die with him. And now, you know, I think for many Christians, we think, oh, you know, when we hear that Jesus died for us, it means that Jesus died so that we don't have to, right? But actually, the Bible says Jesus died so that we can die with him. And let me try to, you know, I'm going to try to explain what that means. This, follow along with me. I'm going to do the best I can in the second point. But I think this is profound. I'm going to try to explain it. One of the most serious effects of experiencing abuse, and especially sexual abuse, has on our lives, is how it affects our view of our bodies. That is a profound thing, is when we've experienced abuse or sexual abuse, how do we regard our bodies? And the reason for this is because our bodies are the place or the context in which abuse happens. Whether our bodies have experienced physical harm, whether our bodies have been taken advantage of, or, you know, our bodies have longings and desires you know, maybe we wanted affection from someone or um, in a, it was in a trusting relationship where we made ourselves vulnerable to be abused or to be taken advantage of. And as a result, we see our bodies as this dirty, problematic thing that gets me in trouble. It has these longings that make me vulnerable and it, uh, it has desires that get me in trouble and there becomes a hatred of my body. 
is my body that gives me problems. And so what happens as a result is I have two kind of responses to that. I either tend to destroy my body and punish my body, and you can, there's a various ways that I can do that through substances, through you know, physical pain, through um, food. There's all kinds of ways that I can, I can try to punish my body. Or I try to have self-will over my body and try to control my body and just will myself to have control and to protect my body and keep my body distant from people that can hurt it. And, um, but in all of that, we have an experience that we don't feel at home in our bodies. We don't feel at home in our own skin. It's like we don't even know ourselves. I don't even feel right in who I am. And so what abuse does is it causes us to deaden the longings and desires of our bodies to save us from disappointment and shame. I'm going to say that again. What abuse does is it makes us deaden the longings and desires of our bodies to save us from disappointment and shame. If I don't have any longings and desires, I can't be harmed. And actually, there's a, um, an author, Dan Allender, has written a helpful book on sexual abuse where he, t- he gives an account of a woman who'd been abused. And at the end of the account, this is what he says. After that sickening violation, she decided never to pray or want or hope again for anything. She would never pray or want or hope ever again. A deadening of desire, a deadening of of the desires that naturally come from our bodies. An act of self-preservation. I am going to preserve myself and protect myself from ever being harmed again. Well, what this passage tells us, what Jesus warns us in this passage is that self-preservation is deadly. When we try to preserve and guard ourselves, it is actually deadly. Look at what he says, verse 25. This is is what Jesus says. For whoever would save his life, that is, whoever would rescue my life from pain, from disappointment, from intimacy, whoever tries to self-preserve will lose their life. And, um, you know, actually, you know, I should say that there is a, there's a certain level of self-protection that's appropriate in your life. You should protect yourself. I mean, if you're in a harmful relationship, there's an appropriateness to remove yourself from damaging relationships and from harm and from abuse. But if you make self-protection the way that you approach God, the way that you approach all relationships and people, the way that you re- approach community, it will be deadening to your soul. You will lose your life, Jesus says. And so one of the major questions that we have to ask as we think through abuse as Christians, how should I regard my body? How should I think about my body? If I shouldn't think about it as this dirty thing that I'm trying to distance myself from and I'm trying to deaden and not trust and something that I hate, how should I view my body? Well, again, the Bible has an incredibly complex and rich answer to that. Because on the one hand, what does the Bible say? That God made our body good. God made our bodies good. That our bodies bear the image of God. Your body actually reflects to the world the brightness and beauty of who God is and what his character is like. When people see our bodies, they are seeing something about God himself. And, and, and that includes many of the desires and, and longings that are in our bodies are a part of our dignity as human beings. And there is something that we should celebrate. 
And yet, on the other hand, what does the Bible say? The Bible also says that our bodies have sin and are fallen. And so we have a rebellious nature. We return away from God, and uh, we want to do our own thing. And in some ways, our bodies feel out of control, that they do things that we don't want them to do, and they desire things we are ashamed of. And so there is this, this sense in which my body, on the one hand, I feel like needs to die. There's something in my body that needs to die, and yet at the same time, my body needs to live. And so some ways, when we enter into patterns of self-destruction, we're trying to do the deadening of our bodies, but self-destruction is putting our bodies to death with no hope. There's no hope. Or we just try to live, and I'm going to control my body, I'm going to be good, and I'm going to will myself to be in control of my passions, and on the outside we have things together, but on the inside we still feel a darkness, and we don't feel life. So how do we both die and live at the same time? That is one of the major questions. And um, Jesus answers that by bidding us to come and die with him. We get to die with Jesus. Because when we die with Jesus, there is hope in him. And this is what he says, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We must die with him. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, the Apostle Paul um, actually medita- had meditated quite a lot on the saying by Jesus. And if you know the life of Apostle, the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul endured a tremendous amount of physical abuse in his life. I mean, just unimaginable. He was beaten many times, almost to the point of death. He was stoned. He was whipped. Um, He was betrayed by people. I mean, in tremendous suffering. And the Apostle Paul actually himself, before he became a Christian, was a tremendously violent man. Um, We know that he was complicit in the murder of Christians. Um, So he himself is this abused abuser who had now come and found life in Jesus. And this is the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. The way he regarded his body is as crucified with Christ. That's actually, that might sound like a strange thing to you. I think that's a, pr- a profound thing to think about for us to regard our bodies as crucified with Christ. But then he goes on and he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, right? He's talking about his body. The life I live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you know, one of the things I love about Galatians 2, that statement of that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me, is it's one of the great anti-abuse statements. It is the opposite of abuse. Where someone didn't love themselves and, and hurt me, he loved, he loved me and gave himself for me. He's done the opposite of abuse to me. And in Jesus, we have someone who actually loves us, who surrounds us, who walks with us, who surrounds us with his radical goodness. And so I, I, I know it's a little abstract, 
But I, I want to answer this question. What does it mean to, to be crucified with Christ, to regard my body as crucified with Christ? Well, I think for some of you, some of you may even now be experiencing that in your life where God is bringing experiences into your life where you sense, I'm dying to myself. And that's part of God's process, is for your life to be in the Son of God and, and not in self-preservation. Not in, in self-will and what I can do for myself, but your, your life would be in Christ. I just want to share with you one other thing that's become a part of my personal um, devotional practice. Is I think there is something to come before Jesus and present your body to him. And present your body as dead to sin. And present your body as alive to service to him. My body is yours. And I find that this is actually something that I do almost every morning, is a pre- presenting my body to Jesus. And it gives a radical reorienting of how I regard myself and who I am and who God is and who people are. And so the question is, the last thing we're going to talk about is what happens when we do that? We regard ourselves as dead in Christ. Well, Jesus says that if we die with him, we will also live with him. And what does it mean to be alive in Jesus? This is how I would define being alive in Jesus. Is that your heart has been softened so that you are able to love and be loved by God and you are able to love and be loved by others. Okay, let me just say that again. This is what abundant life is. What does it mean to be alive, like God's life is just spilling over in me? This is what it looks like, is that you are able to love and be loved by God, and you are able to love and be loved by others. That is the great challenge of our lives. And, um, and this is, you'll notice that whenever Jesus talks about his death, it's always paired with life. Right? Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Death with Jesus is always paired with a new life, right? And then he says it about us as well. Verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake, will find it. If you die with Jesus, you will find your life. Now, what does it mean to find your life? I'm going to just close with two, two insights from two of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis and St. Augustine. The first is from C.S. Lewis. Actually, if you turn to page three in your bulletin, I put a quote from the screw tape letters, which some of you know, it was these letters that Lewis wrote that were from a senior devil to his nephew who's a demon and he's training him in how to tempt uh, Christians. And so he's giving him these instructions on how to tempt Christians and this is one of the things he says. And remember, this is a, this is a demon talking. Remember always that he, that's God, really likes the little vermin. We're the little vermin, all right? Um, he really likes the little vermin and sets an absurd value on the distinctness of every one of them. When he talks of their losing their selves, he only means abandoning the clamor of self-will. Once they have done that, he really gives them back all their personality and boasts, I'm afraid sincerely, 
that when they are wholly His, they will be more themselves than ever. When you die in Jesus, you become uniquely who you were meant to reflect to the world what God is like. You were made in His image. You become who you were meant to be. But then, the second insight is from Augustine. And, you know, I've just started reading Augustine's memoir, uh, his confessions, again. And towards the beginning of that, he was talking about how amazing it is that God comes and lives inside of, of our bodies. And one of the things he says, you know, one of the things theologians have always said is that when God lives inside of you, it's not a part of God. It's not like a little drop of God came inside of you. Wherever God dwells, all of God is there. So that means all of who God is lives inside of you. And Augustine is saying, you know, it's like God's like being poured into a glass. And if I have all of God inside of me, how do I not just like explode? Like how could I possibly contain God and not just be like shattered to pieces? But then he says, but you know, um, it's not so much like I'm this glass that if God was poured into, I would shatter. It's actually that we're all already these shattered glasses. We're already shattered. We've been harmed. We're harmful. We don't know how to live. We can't hold God. And it's like when God has poured into us all the pieces he draws together into a whole so that we can hold him. And it's this beautiful picture that when God is poured into us, it's not that he shatters us, that he draws us together and makes us whole again. And we become who God first intended us to be. The way to that is dying with Jesus. And so um, this morning, what I want to do as we close is I just want to take a few moments for us each individually to silently present our bodies to the Lord and uh, to present them as crucified with Christ. My body is crucified with Christ. But also to present our bodies for his service that his love would live in our bodies. We would carry his life and his love around with us and that we would really learn what it is to be loved and to love others by God and to learn to be loved and love others to each other. So let's take um, a few moments um, to silently go before the Lord and then I'll uh, close us in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have compassion on us. As a father has compassion on his children, so you have compassion on us. You know our frame, that we are but dust. Lord, we come before you with our shattered and broken selves, our bodies that we so often don't understand, our bodies that we are often wrongly ashamed of. 
And we present them to you as crucified and dead with Jesus, but raised. That we might live by faith in the Son of God who has now loved us, who gave himself for us. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that as they uh, go through this day and this week, that you would surround them with your radical goodness. That they would trust in your care, your fatherly attention,